Well, let me ask you this. How many people in your everyday life have a clue what you did wearing orange paint and drag queen makeup on a Saturday in April? Is bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all, what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. A lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm gonna talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug, provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm gonna answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, Five Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com. I was having a conversation the other day with a friend, and she mentioned that her daughter wanted to do an NPC bikini competition. She wasn't asking for my advice on whether her daughter should or should not compete. In fact, my friend is experienced and educated in competing, having done so herself. Mom is aware that there are bogus contest prep nutrition and exercise protocols out there harming people, and mom knows what it takes to compete. And mom also knows that there are many positives about having a competition as a goal. But what if I told you that I recommended that my friend consider having a conversation with her daughter about doing a show, but not starting in the NPC? All you diehard NPC and IFBB competitors probably just got offended. How dare I say such a thing? But let me go on and say that if I ever came out of retirement, I personally would consider competing in the NPC now that they have a Masters Olympia competition. Now all of the natural bodybuilders just got offended. So I'm certainly not anti-NPC or any organization for that matter. I see the bodybuilding industry as a whole. I believe there is something for everyone in every federation, and what is best for one person might be the worst decision for somebody else. Where you should compete really depends on what makes sense for you. How I would approach talking to someone about their plans to do a show is completely dependent on the person. The answer is not black or white. Having competed in so many organizations, six for that matter, teaching the posing and stage performance requirements for the past 10 years for 10 federations, and judging for what is now four very different federations, I can say without a doubt that your experience will be completely different depending on where you compete. I can also say that where you compete first sets the bar and the tone for your entire competition career. That first show experience could mean you never compete again. It could also mean great things for you in the near future. To this day, I am grateful. I had a voice of reason when I was young and new to bodybuilding. This voice of reason gave me an honest and unbiased look at the industry as a whole and emphasized health above all. She was the first to say competing is a hobby and to never forget that you have family, friends, personal goals, and a life outside of competing that matters too. 
It's easy to get hyper-focused on competing and put blinders on, especially if you are a person who feeds off of competition and will push far beyond the regular person to reach a goal. This broader perspective from the very beginning of my contest career, coupled with 20 years of experience in more than one federation, has shaped who I am today. Now I give back here on my podcast and hope to get people to think before they drink the Kool-Aid and get caught up in the high school popularity contest that has become a major part of the sport today. Today, I don't really hear a voice of reason or much unbiased. We have an industry that is saturated with coaches, so it becomes difficult to get a uniform message out to the masses. Contest prep protocols have evolved so much to the extreme that many coaches include PEDs in their prep as nonchalantly as they do whey protein. It's going to be difficult to change this when there are thousands upon thousands of coaches out there and tons of bodybuilding federations too. Plus, currently, there isn't one platform to reach new people on before he or she drinks the Kool-Aid, as I call it. Once you drink the Kool-Aid and become a diehard about a federation or a coach, there is very little chance that an outsider is going to get through to you with a different perspective. Plus, once you drink the Kool-Aid, you won't want to hear the warning messages. Anything negative is uncomfortable and offensive. In fact, I received a review recently saying I only talk about what is bad in the sport. So all those other episodes about how to be a standout on stage, like episode five, all of the interviews throughout the year with educational content, the episodes on how to compete at 20, 30, and 40 plus all fell on deaf ears. The only episodes that stuck out to this person were the ones that I share warning signs. See what I mean? Once you drink the Kool-Aid, you only want to hear validation for what you are doing and good things about your decisions. And this is as an adult. Imagine trying to get through to a teenager who already feels they have life figured out. Federations fuel this narrative big time as well. Many have the attitude that you are either with us or against us, or that we are the best and every other federation is invisible to us. The NPC and the IFBB prides itself on saying they have the best athletes in the world. If you want to be the best, you must compete there. But let's be real. They are the largest federation with the biggest pro bodybuilding show in the world and the most prize money. And they are continuing to grow, and they just added the Masters Olympia competition for the first time in 11 years. If you don't know what Masters means, it's bodybuilding competitions that are for people above a certain age. The age minimum for men and women's bodybuilding in the 212 divisions must be over 45, and all other divisions, including bikini and men's physique, must be above 40 years old. To have a poll that big, that you can draw a large enough pool of people above 40 and 45 to compete in a show that is known for large prize money says a lot. There not only has to be ample amount of competitors, there also has to be enough sponsorship money to fund such a grand event. So if your first show is with the NPC and the IFBB, you will most likely never compete anywhere else because you will feel from the atmosphere you immerse yourself in that anything that is not NPC is of lesser degree. And if you do decide to look elsewhere to compete, you're probably going to choose a federation that is not a bodybuilding federation, is more like a pageant like the WBFF because it's fun and it's a safe other choice that you won't be judged harshly on by your peers. Funny enough, the WBFF has the same attitude towards their federation as the IFBB does, although they are dramatically different federations. They too say the best of the best compete with the WBFF. That's like their tagline. But they go on to say that only the most beautiful people in the world compete there. You better not show up to check-ins in your pajamas here. Expect to wear gowns and suits at every event. The level of over-the-top glam in this federation sets it apart from the rest. If your first show was a WBFF show in a theater with a red carpet event, switching to another federation with a show in a high school auditorium is going to feel like a letdown. 
When you become a pro in the WBFF, I can tell you from experience that they call everyone that is a part of the organization their family and really push the family narrative. So imagine the feeling, if you want to compete somewhere else, that you are leaving your family behind. This is a strong narrative, and it's highly influential as well. So again, where you compete first will set the tone for your entire competition career. So what other options are there? When I first started competing, I chose natural bodybuilding after being inspired by a friend who competed for the first time at 48 years old in a natural bodybuilding show. I had graduated college in three years, so I was working in corporate America as an accountant at the age of 20. I wasn't even 21. I was a competitive three-sport athlete my entire life, and having a new sport to compete in sounded right up my alley. The only two choices at the time for competing were fitness and bodybuilding, and I liked how extreme and difficult it was to be a bodybuilder. Natural bodybuilding shows were all that were on my radar at the time, because if you look back at the evolution of women's bodybuilding, by the late 80s, the look of women's bodybuilding in the IFBB was unachievable without anabolics. So competing as a bodybuilder in the IFBB wasn't even on my radar. And again, there was only bodybuilding and fitness. Then the figure division came about in the early 2000s. So by 2004, I moved from bodybuilding shows to figure shows and competed everywhere and won championship titles, including in the NPC. Early on, there wasn't a conversation about PEDs being needed in order to be competitive. The look of the figure division was still overall achievable without anabolics and other PEDs for debatably about 10 years. There was a lot less judgment and ego surrounding where you competed then too, probably because there wasn't social media feeding these narratives. And the coverage you got if you competed in federations like Fitness Universe and MuscleMania meant you could get noticed and land a cover of a fitness magazine. Coverage of the fitness and figure competitions was big news in these magazines, too, since that was the only way to learn about competitions, and you had to get the magazine. Fitness Universe and IFBB were both big players in these magazines. Instead of your only reward being a piece of paper with the word pro on it that you have to pay to renew every year, you won the potential for fitness modeling gigs, major sponsorships with supplement companies, and a global career. Social media and PEDs changed everything, in my opinion. Social media killed magazines, and social media brought forth the rise of the fitness influencer who didn't need to do a show to become a global phenom. The lure of getting magazine coverage and sponsorships as an incentive to compete in one federation over another died, and the rise of pro cards and social media followers as status symbols became the new lure. Large brands like the IFBB and NPC, they easily capitalized on their size, their social media presence, and global presence to evolve and grow further in this new ecosystem. But something else happened at the same time that created a runaway train in the industry that today is the main reason I would tell a new person to the sport to consider all options before deciding on a particular show and to never forget that bodybuilding for 99% of people is a hobby. And that answer is PEDs. The NPC and the IFBB Federation is not drug tested, so athletes being athletes, always looking for the competitive edge, slowly push the envelope year after year on muscularity and conditioning in the figure and men's physique divisions, which were considered the more obtainable divisions when they came out. In 2010, the NPC and the IFBB added the bikini division to broaden its options to people with a more fitness model type appeal. But just as it has done for decades, the judges' feedback continued with the same come in bigger and leaner narrative. And that's exactly what people did. So although the judging criteria on paper stayed the same, the accepted and anticipated look of both divisions changed and evolved over the years. 
Over the past 13 years, the figure division was pushed so far in muscularity and conditioning that its massive global appeal has faded to the point that even the Arnold Classic doesn't invite the pro figure division anymore. They first claimed, you guys, it was because they sold tickets already due to the appeal of other divisions, so putting up prize money for the figure division would be just an added cost that doesn't make sense for a business. They said it was a business expense. Except that last week, the Arnold Classic upped their prize money for the men's open division by $100,000, so there was clearly money. Saying having figure a part of the show would be an added cost a business can't afford is really a nice way of saying that there's just not enough interest and appeal from the audience. For men's physique in the IFBB, debatably, you cannot turn pro or be competitive as a pro today without PEDs, decades of training, or incredible genetics. For the women's figure, and I'm not even going to go into depth on women's physique and how that has become a runaway train and unrecognizable from the Dana Lynn Bailey days, same thing. To achieve the hardness, the muscle size, and conditioning of the figure division, debatably, you cannot do that without PEDs or super genetics. Six-time figure Olympia champion Sydney Gillen claims to be 100% natural, so she might be one of those genetic freaks that can. But this hardness is definitely not something achievable by the masses without PEDs. Now, here we are today, and the physiques in both of the newer divisions, bikini and wellness, are on their own runaway trains of muscularity and leanness. Women's physique is basically a smaller bodybuilder now, and we are to the point where even in bikini, PEDs are rampant. The danger with the bikini division is that the androgenic effects of PED use in bikini girls isn't super noticeable, except in some girls whose voices I've heard are noticeably deeper, which is permanent, by the way. Their bodies are still curvy, and they haven't become blocky yet. The amount of muscle they carry isn't extreme, so the look is acceptable. The effects of androgens aren't super noticeable, especially to the untrained eye. And assuming the drugs are cycled out of their system, their hormone production, that natural hormone production, will likely go back to normal, so there is little concern about not being able to have babies. So it's easy to think a little supplementation here or there just isn't a big deal. Even coaches who work with a lot of NPC and IFBB athletes will say openly that they suggest PEDs to their clients that they don't believe have the genetics to be competitive, but they still want to become a bikini pro competitor. This is like a roll-off-the-tongue conversation, like it's no big deal to add a little anabolic here, a little clen there, and poof, we have a bikini pro in six months. Can you build the amount of muscle of a bikini competitor with time and no drugs? Yes. Can you do it in six months? No. Not unless you already have a muscular foundation. Can you get lean enough to be competitive? Yes. And can you get the level of hardness the bikini girls have on the pro stages in their glutes and hamstrings and maintain that year-round? Mm, unlikely. That's the difference. And that's where we are with women's bikini. And like I said about men's physique, this division was supposed to be a hot-on-the-beach kind of look. One you would see on a men's health magazine. Now, the size and level of conditioning of these guys is to the point of extreme as well, so this division is no longer an entry level of muscle division. So maybe now you have a better idea why I told my friend to suggest another route to her teenage daughter for her first show than the NPC. By teenager, I mean over 18, because if you don't know, NPC doesn't allow competitors to compete who are younger than 18 anymore. But PEDs are rampant and a part of the culture in a nonchalant way there. A little of this, a little of that, no big deal. Would you want your daughter getting caught up in PEDs as a teenager? I wouldn't. I would want her to build a beautiful and strong physique first and have fun competing and then go back to her life building her career or, or whatever it is that drives her in life and not have decisions she made for a hobby affect her health and her happiness in everyday life. If she's in college, 
I would want her to finish school and keep her head on straight so she can make life decisions that will set her up for success in her 20s, 30s, and beyond. I wouldn't want her bodybuilding hobby to be cut short because she gets creamed on a national stage and gives up competing completely, or decides to take a little of this and a little of that, and then gets carried away just to win a plastic trophy. Bodybuilding teaches you a lot about you. You learn discipline, structure, willpower, pain tolerance, and you build confidence from within watching all of your hard work and efforts in the gym come to life with your physique. I would rather her enjoy the process of competing for what could end up being decades and possibly win some prize money along the way too. Yeah, I said prize money. If the reason to compete is to have a new goal, why not suggest a place to compete where drug testing is enforced and getting a pro card still means you can earn some money? For example, the OCB's Yorton Cup, it's an all-pro bodybuilding show with $63,000 in prize money. The first place person gets $5,000, the second is $3,000, and the third is $1,000. And by the way, the payouts are the same across all the divisions. That's not nothing. The road to a pro card is much shorter in the OCB too. You can compete at a local pro qualifying event for the first time and win your pro card and then go on to compete as a pro. They are the largest drug-tested federation, and they're continuing to add shows, so it's definitely not a dying federation by any means. It's just the opposite. Plus, their drug-testing standards match that of another drug-tested federation, the WNBF, which is in like 30 countries itself, so that opens you up to even more show opportunities. The look and options in both those federations are slightly different, so which one you choose to compete in first will depend on your physique. Plus, I think the prize money in the OCB is the highest, so that might be something that interests you too. Besides prize money, there is a distinct vibe difference at an OCB or a WNBF show, too. I'm talking about ego. With OCB, the camaraderie among the promoters, judges, and athletes is an absolute standout. I'm serious. I have never been to an OCB show where there was so much ego that it left a bad taste in my mouth. Nobody's untouchable in this federation. Even though you got people like Sean Sullivan, who's one of the owners, he has like more credentials in everyday life than anyone I've ever met in this industry. But you never feel beneath anyone or of lesser degree. You feel important and that your overall experience matters. And the athletes are no chumps either, you guys. Check out the classic physique winners. Check out the women's physique pro winner. These people have some serious muscle and they get freaking shredded. What if you're someone who loves glam and loves to be on stage? Well, why not try the WBFF Federation? They don't drug test. However, the look of the divisions are kept in check with the exception of the figure in the men's uh, muscle model divisions but the others are achievable without PEDs. They're looking for people that could be on the cover of a magazine. The experience is gonna be super fun too. 60% of your score has nothing to do with your physique and everything to do with stage presence and marketability, with the exception of muscle model, 40%. So you need to be fit, but you need to know how to work a stage. It's very much a pageant. The only issue with starting with the WBFF is that they don't have a lot of pro shows. So if you're naturally beautiful, you get a pro card at 20 in the bikini division, you really only have a couple of options to compete as a pro and you're likely to have to travel to do it and expect to spend a lot of money on costume suits and other fancy attire because you're required to wear these at all the pre-show and media events. So hmm, that may not appeal, but you may actually love it. There are many organizations like the USBF, the NGA, and more that are smaller in size and the number of shows offered, but they can be good options too if you're looking for a show and there is one in your area. Not having to travel for your first set of shows is a major bonus. Competing is expensive enough, so adding in flights, rental car, and additional hotel nights could be money better spent on maybe a vacation with your family or even a photo shoot. See how my answer on where a teenager should compete isn't black or white? 
You might say to me, well, that's great and all, but these smaller scale shows are just that. They're smaller. They aren't the biggest and the best. Well, let me ask you this. How many people in your everyday life have a clue what you did wearing orange paint and drag queen makeup on a Saturday in April? Does anyone actually know what federation you competed in? I know for me, for 20 years, if anyone that is not in the ecosystem of bodybuilding finds out I compete, I might get the, my cousin's friend's sister is a bodybuilder too. She did an ABCDEFG federation show. That's if they even know the federation. They think we're all the same. Because really, the fake prestige matters to no one and only makes sense to those who are part of the industry. To the average person in everyday life, a show's a show. Because after that show in April, you go back to your everyday life and are no more famous than anyone else. The fake prestige is more like high school popularity and is 100% perspective. If you have nothing to prove to anyone else but yourself, you're not going to care about the fake prestige. If you're looking for outside validation, then you might. I'm talking about the psychology of competing. And this psychology is also why I recommended to my friend that she encourage her teenage daughter to consider a different path for her first show. When I asked my friend why her daughter was interested in competing, her answer was that her daughter had been in competitive sports her entire life and was now in college and looking for a new goal. She enjoys exercise but struggles with motivation without having a goal to strive for. I can relate to that, and I'm sure you can too. If you want results, goals are everything. If you are competitive by nature, your goal-setting standards are going to be higher than the average person, which also means you're capable of pushing harder and longer to achieve the goal, which also means you're going to look for ways to gain a competitive edge. And let's be real, you want to win. So my thoughts immediately from my friend is that her daughter is competitive by nature and is going to take her contest prep very seriously. She's going to follow the plan as instructed. She's probably not going to miss a day or a meal and she's going to want to win. As someone young and impressionable, she's going to look around at the competition and compare herself to them. She's going to look beyond the amateur stage and be inspired by the professionals to want to look like them and be like them because she is told they are the best and she doesn't do anything mediocre. She will connect and make friends with others in the industry and feel a camaraderie from the unique friendships she will make. She will meet the ones that are pros and she's going to be in awe of them. She will hear what others are doing and be affected by their attitudes. She will visit the gyms where people like her are training and become a part of their world. She will build a trust among her friends, and when suggestions are made on how to best achieve her goals, she's going to take them to heart. In her teens, what people think of her matters a lot. As a parent, who do you want her to be influenced by? Think about that. Who she associates with and the first contest prep experience she has will make or break her next 10 years of decisions. My first contest prep experiences included the NPC, but it also included other federations like the WNBF, the OCB, the WBFF, and Fitness Universe. I value each and every experience I ever had in the sport, and I love that there's something for every personality, physique, and goal. The drug-tested federations, they showed me incredible physiques that can be achieved without drugs. I learned how to train and eat to build muscle and how even small manipulations in movement or nutrition can have major effects. I learned how my body responded and what works on me to build muscle. I learned that I am super strong and at 42, I'm still doing single arm dumbbell rows with 85 pound dumbbells and I hope to get to 100 pounds in the next year, completely unenhanced. Today, I admire the people that are in their 60s, like Dwayne Broadway from the WNBF, who won like every show in that federation growing up. And he is still in such great shape that he could step on stage at any time and cream anyone up there. And he's in his 60s. I respect the time and years of effort. 
I also respect people like Sean Clarita, who is the reigning 212 champion in the IFBB. I have a lot of respect for him because he spent decades building an incredible physique, and he actually started in the WNBF Federation, Drug Tested Federation. He won the world championships there. When he moved to the IFBB, he already had an incredible physique. He already built it with a lot of hard work. The enhanced physique he has today is just a larger version of the same incredible symmetry and quality muscle that he had on Enhanced. He trains like a beast and is super, super strong. I respect the grind, the work ethic, no matter where someone competes or if he or she is enhanced. So, so much that here I am 20 years later with enough muscle that I'm curious how I would fare standing next to people who are enhanced. Because I'm not enhanced doesn't mean I can't compete in places where drug testing doesn't happen and PED use is rampant. That's narrow-minded. This is an individual sport, and being my best is my number one goal. My personal goal to compete if I do is not with the end goal of being Miss Olympia, oh, that'd be cool. I'd like to see how far I could take it as a natural athlete. That's a goal in itself. But again, I have a 20-year foundation, so I'm not starting fresh and just starting to build my physique. The gap on what is achievable in a short amount of time without PEDs and non-drug-tested federations has become super narrow today. So why would I push a teenager who has years of muscle building to do to start in a federation out the gate that has evolved to the point where PEDs are rampant? Why would I do that? Where the judging feedback is to get bigger and leaner. Why would I do that? Where the competitive environment is fierce and encouraged. Why would I do that? I wouldn't do that. I would want someone young to have a long future in the sport of bodybuilding like I have and take the time to build the physique of their dreams without compromising femininity health, longevity. I mentioned earlier that now that the IFBB has added the Masters Olympia contest back that I would consider competing there again. Why? Because I have been training for 20 years and I've built a lot of muscle and could possibly be competitive on any stage, maybe even a non-drug tested stage where others are free to use drugs to achieve their physiques. The difference is I would not be doing it at any cost. I'm not trying to be a pro at any cost. I would be interested in seeing how I stood up against the competition with what I've built with the goal of a pro card, but definitely not at any cost. If I'm told I need more muscle, I'll evaluate the amount of muscle on my frame and decide if I want to add more. If so, I'll go back to training for a couple of years and keep plugging away. Not a couple months, I said years. If the feedback is I need to get leaner, I'll evaluate how it would affect my health and decide if it makes sense or not. I'm not sure if a teenager who has grown up in a world of instant gratification would have the same perspective of patience and time, and if he or she would be able to disassociate from the lure of status and popularity and not make decisions that will expedite the process in order to get a pro card. A teenager has his or her life ahead of them, whole life. There is a sense of invincibility in the youth that can be a superpower or it could be a downfall. Okay, guys, I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so head on over to my group, Everything Else in Bodybuilding Insiders on Facebook, and join me in the conversation. Please like, subscribe, and share with friends, and if you're listening on iTunes, you can leave a review, so please take a moment to do so, so the podcast people can think the show is important. And one more thing, I just finished making a free posing tutorial for the Women's Wellness Division. Go grab the free tutorial at learntopose.com. I have ones for bikini, figure, and men's physique there, too. And I will be making one for men's classic physique shortly, so stay tuned. And as always, thanks for listening. Ever wonder if you are posing correctly for your division? Learn to Pose is dedicated to taking out the guesswork on how to pose for all categories in bodybuilding. Learn five ways you can improve your posing skills in five minutes guaranteed at www.learntopose.com. 
There are free posing tutorials available for the bikini, figure, and men's physique categories, and more on the way for other divisions in bodybuilding. It's free, so go access your free posing tutorial for bikini, figure, or men's physique at learntopose.com.